Let, let me pray. Father, we pray that your presence would just permeate this room. We pray for your Holy Spirit to teach us and fill us with a conviction of sin where that would be helpful, with comfort where that's needed, with encouragement where that might be most needed. Whatever is the need, O oh God, we trust that you can provide. Whatever each individual needs, you're capable of understanding and responding and impacting our lives, each one of us, God. So if we just pray that we would be open to that, that each one of us would be open to you working in us what is necessary, working in us a deeper desire, working in us a willingness to change and asking you to do all of that, God, in, in the span of mere minutes. That um, Your word is that powerful that even though we've set aside this little slice of time, that you're capable of interrupting our, our thoughts that are easily distracted. You're capable of helping us rethink our commitments to life. In this one little window of time, you could so powerfully and profoundly impact us that it could redirect our lives um, how we spend our money, our relationships, how we deal with day-by-day -day things. So we just pray, oh, come Holy Spirit, move freely in our midst today. And please don't forsake us. Please don't leave us to ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, I would like to... Um, I, I want to begin in Ephesians 6, and that's kind of where we've started this whole series. So let me kind of bring us up to speed, and then we'll get back over to Romans chapter 8 in a minute. So let me, let me begin. In Ephesians 6, it says, um, Be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God. So we need God's strength, and we need to put on this armor of God. There's armor for us. I don't know if you know that, but if you're a Christian, we have armor. We have uh, a way to dress that prepares us for spiritual battles. And we're, there are spiritual battles. I hope you understand that. There is a natural realm uh, where we eat, drink, um, live, where we live, all those kind of things that are a natural realm. And then there's another realm, a spiritual realm. Some people don't believe that there is. And they would be called naturalist or maybe atheist or agnostic or they just don't believe and they just want to live and do life. And you go, well, you eat and you die. And then... Another, another generation comes and they eat and they die and nothing's lasting and affecting, but we don't believe that here. We believe that there is a spiritual realm, that we are physical beings, but we also have a spiritual side. And there, there are these two great superpowers and um, the lesser of those superpowers would be Satan. There is a devil. There is a very real devil. Um, there's a, a real behind what we would call evil is someone not just evil things that happen, there is an evil person or an evil being, and that being would be Satan. So we believe in Satan, demonic presence and power. So sometimes we ask, how did that happen? And we can say, well, it wasn't just because this person had a rough upbringing, but we can say, no, because there are forces of evil in the universe. And this passage invites us into this concept. It says, that we need to be ready to stand against the schemes of the devil. So the devil has plans. He has schemes. He, 
He strategizes. And it says we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against our, I guess it would be better translated that we not only wrestle against flesh and blood. It's not like, well, we do have these struggles with physical things, but there's another layer. There's another realm. We do not wrestle only against flesh and blood or in the physical realm, but against as a spiritual realm, against rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, um, we have a list of armor that we're to put on. Put on the whole armor. It's like every piece. Don't just say, well, I like shoes. I'm only going to do the shoes or I'm a sword guy, so I'm only going to do the sword. It's like, no, no, put on all the weapons. Be ready. You're going to need everything. You can't just have, walk out without a shield or without a helmet of salvation. So put on, and here's the, here's the six pieces. We're going to talk about the seventh uh, piece or component. You need a belt of truth. That would be what holds our life together. It's the truth, truth of God or, and just truth in general. Uh, we shouldn't, can't build your life on lies. The breastplate of righteousness. Well, it's Christ's righteousness, not mine. Like, I don't, I don't want to stand behind my righteousness. Um, I want to stand behind the righteousness of Christ. That's what protects me. I don't go, oh, look at me. I'm so righteous. Like, no, I have nothing. I'm not righteous. I'm actually unrighteous. But I've found this righteousness, and I'm going to stand behind the righteousness of of Christ, see, like that's what over the breastplate, over my heart. My heart is protected by the righteousness of Jesus. And then I need shoes of readiness or shoes. I'm ready to go, put on my shoes. What kind of shoes that are uh, the gospel of peace? Like the gospel is what motivates me and makes me want to go. And it's like energizes me. When I met Christ, all suddenly I wanted to go forward in his name and share the gospel. That's like the call, the summons to evangelism. That's why we're still here as believers and God doesn't just airlift us onto heaven. And then there's this shield of faith. It's my faith. It's, uh, it's like faith helps me understand reality. It's I have, a, I have faith. I, I trust in God. I believe in God. And um, it's my faith in God that changes the way I go about my life. And when I have these um, things attacking me, it's what do I stand upon? It's certainly the righteousness of Christ, but it's faith. It's faith that makes me connect to God and believe in all these things. And then uh, have a helmet of salvation. I need salvation. Salvation protects me, but also salvation, the helmet is significant because it's where we think. It's our mind. It's uh, mental, the mental area. And it is that God helps me. I need help. Satan, where does Satan attack? He attacks our thinking. He attacks our minds. He wants to come in with lies. And, and the helmet of salvation protects me from from erroneous thoughts and going in directions that are unhealthy for me. And so God wants me to be ready to combat and confront these, these thoughts that are permeating our society, all this information that's not helpful or hurtful. And then I have the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And so I not only have, I want to live my life according to truth and ties me to my life together, but I also have particular specific truth of God's Word. And God's Word is not only like a belt holding everything together, but it's like a sword which I respond to. It's my only offensive 
truly offensive weapon. Yes, you can use it defensively, and yes, you can take a shield and knock someone in the head with it, but the, the sword is the predominantly described as the offensive weapon that we have as Christians, which is the Word of God. So I have to learn and study God's Word so that I know how to use it to respond to lies of the enemy in my life. And so I, to be very well equipped, I have all these weapons and tools that I can use. But then there's this one thing, one thing that I'm going to need, and it's the Spirit of God. I need prayer and the Spirit of God. I need to pray in the Spirit. And without the Spirit of God, then I'm not going to use my weapons very well. I, have you ever heard Chris, someone take the Bible and use it like a sword, but it's more like a club to beat people with? Like uh, someone that's uh, legalist, legalistic, or um, someone that's using it to promote their own name and they take the Word of God. And like Satan did this in Matthew 4 when he confronted Jesus in the temptation. He wielded the sword, but he didn't do it in the Spirit. He used it to try to manipulate. And some people take the Word of God and they use every piece of equipment for a fleshly purpose and then it's not blessed of God because it's not being used by the Spirit of God. So even if we are very interested in the Bible, very interested in Christianity, very interested in the righteousness of Christ, very interested in what Christ did for sinners, if we don't have the Spirit of God, we're, we're going to misuse it. And it actually becomes harmful. Religion is where Christ is left out. You have all the stuff, Christ is left out. It's very dangerous. Religion sends people to hell. But Christ, with the Holy Spirit, changes and makes you understand that the purpose and intention of God is not to make you religious. It's to save you and to make you new and to make you right with God. Okay, so now I want to talk about praying in the Spirit and, and what really is it. In verse 18, pray. All this equipment, then he finishes one through six. And now he says, pray at all times in the Spirit. Well, he says to pray, which is to commune with God. Some people say praying is talking to God or talking with God. Prayer is when our spirit talks to God who is the Spirit. And it involves speaking and listening. It's communication, real communication with God. That's what prayer is. But he doesn't just say pray because every religion says that they're praying. But it says to pray at all times in the Spirit. So there's a certain kind of prayer. It's praying in the Spirit. Quite honestly... Praying in the Spirit is the only time you actually are praying. Praying in the Spirit. You have to have the Holy Spirit to pray. And I want to, um, I want to remind you that step one of praying in the Spirit is regeneration. In John 3.3, 3, Jesus said you must be born again. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. You cannot experience it. You cannot be in the kingdom. So to pray in the Spirit, you have to have the Spirit. So that just means that a non-Christian is not capable of praying. And so if you're here today and you're not a Christian yet, maybe that explains your frustration with prayer. Maybe that explains your frustration with God. It's like you're trying to do the Christian thing without Christ. And 
the most miserable thing is for someone to try to live the Christian life without Christ. So I want to keep the rules. I want to be a good person. I want to find one of those good girls to marry. I want to find a nice guy to marry. I want to find someone that's got good morals. And so this like, I just looking for someone who's highly religious or maybe even mildly religious, but they're a, a good person, but they don't have Jesus. And that doesn't, that's not a Christian. Uh, a Christian is someone who has Christ and they have the Holy Spirit and they're born again. So praying in the Spirit, last week when I described it, I used the, set, the one phrase over and over again. Praying in the Spirit is when my will aligns with God's. It's alignment. It's when I get, give up my will and I lay down what I want and I come into the presence of God until we align. And it takes time because we're a drive-by society and we're like going, I want to fling my prayers at God and pick up my answer by the time I get to the window, drive-by window for Jesus. I, I make my request at the speaker and by the time I get to the drive-by, I want my answer in a bag with salt and pepper and a drink to go. It's all about me. And that's how people approach prayer. No wonder, no wonder that doesn't work. No wonder that that's not what... God's idea of prayer is come and sit a while with me. Talk, talk, let's talk. Let's have real communion. And so I want to give several different scriptures that illustrate, illustrate this. And Psalm 51. I love Psalm 51. Because I'm a sinner. And Psalm 51 is about a sinner named David who sinned so big and so bad that you even wonder if he was a Christian. Like, how could, is David even a Christian? He murdered a guy. And he committed adultery. He fornicated right there in the palace. David, the so-called man after God's heart, committed adultery and then he killed the woman's husband and took her to be his wife. He's already married, so he committed polygamy, murder, adultery, lying. He abdicated his role as the king. He's supposed to be the king of God's people, and he uses his authority to get his own will. He's a mess. And I can relate to him, can you? I'm a mess. That's when I knew that I needed Christ, when I finally acknowledged that my life was a mess. And in Psalm 51, David says, Have mercy on me, O God. He doesn't say, Lord, aren't you proud that I'm certain you got me on your side? He falls on his face before God and he says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. So praying in the Spirit is what David was doing when he had sin in his life. Praying in the Spirit is getting on your face before God and whatever is going on in your life, you just lay bare before God. And at this particular point, it's this beautiful psalm. He says, I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil. 
And then he drops down to verse 10. It says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Verse 12, Restore to me the joy of salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit. So praying in the Spirit means that you have a hunger for God and you're really bothered until things are set right. And so if you want to pray in the Spirit, you need to have a heart that wants to be right with God. Praying in the Spirit enters into the presence of God and you just ask God, Lord God, I, I, need, I need you here. I need you now. And that's the first one, that's one of the, that's one example of David with his sin praying in the Spirit. David was praying in the Spirit in Psalm 51. There's another passage where the Bible's full of people praying in the Spirit. In Judges chapter 16, you remember that guy named Samson? Long-haired muscle man? Um, well, remember he sinned against God and he ended up in a mess? and a trouble and he got his eyes burnt out and his hair cut off and he was put in prison. Samson was one of the judges of Israel and the interesting thing about the book of Judges is it repeatedly makes a phrase more than any other book of the Bible. It talks about certain people being filled with the Spirit of God. Like the Spirit of God came upon Samson and other judges of Israel in order to carry out the will of God. The reason the Spirit came upon them was to carry out their mission, an extraordinary mission given in them by God to further um, the work of God. Like the nation was in trouble and God would raise up something and the Spirit of God would come upon him with power. And so Samson was one of those. But he misused that power for his own glory. But at the end of his life... He was put in prison and then they brought him out in front of the whole Philistine nation and the, there was this big, big temple, temple of the Philistines and there were 3,000 people up above the temple upstairs and celebrating. They had just finished mocking God and they brought Samson out for the very purpose to mock God and to mock Samson's God and to declare their victory over God. And so Samson's heart is just breaking. He said, oh God, I'm so sorry that I sinned against you. I'm so sorry that I used the strength that you gave me. I misused it. I misused my position and calling. And he's brokenhearted and they parade him out and make fun of him and then they tuck him away and he's tied up. He says, let me feel, he takes this guy and he says, let me feel the pillars on which the house rests that I may lean against them. So the columns, they're like the, this upstairs and there's downstairs and the downstairs, the entire weight, you know how in the buildings have certain locations that are weight bearing and the whole, some are especially central. If that weight collapsed, the whole thing would fall down and Satan is praying in the Spirit. He's praying, you want to know what praying in the Spirit is what Samson was doing when he pushed his hands against the two pillars. He said, I just want to feel the two pillars that are at the center holding the weight of this mighty temple of, of false gods this temple of the pagan temple and he prays this prayer oh lord god please remember me and strengthen me 
only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. But what he was really saying, he wanted to be avenged for the glory of God. Because God wouldn't have done it if it was really just Samson getting his own little revenge party. So that's the, that was the instance that he refers to. But God wouldn't empower him one last time unless it had to align with the will of God. And so Samson is saying, Lord God, I lost my way. And now I want to be in your will. And I will, I will honor, I will gladly give my life if it will honor you. If you'll give me strength to do something that, no, it's, it's absurd, right? It's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. If people say, I can't believe the Bible, that's so silly. Me too. Unless it's true. And God, unless a living God actually gave, it had to be God. So it wasn't, Samson wasn't that strong. He was only strong in the strength of the Lord. And for whatever reason, God wanted to display His power through a human vessel to do something that was absolutely ridiculous. And Samson surrendered himself to the will of God and he pushed. And the entire temple fell and 3,000 people died. And it says Samson killed more people in that one second than he did in all his time as a judge of Israel. He was praying in the Spirit. Do you get that? What is praying in the Spirit? Praying in the Spirit is when you completely surrender to the purposes and will of God. He stood there and he lost his eyesight. He was the mighty man of Israel being mocked by their pagan enemies. And he completely surrenders to God and said, Lord God, I give my life and my strength to you. Is this is how you want me to spend it? Then give me the strength to push these pillars out. And it was a totally surrendered man before God. In Romans chapter 8, which we read at the, before I stood up, in Romans chapter 8 is this amazing chapter of Scripture where it talks more than any other chapter. Romans 8 re refers to the Spirit of God more than any other chapter in the Bible. And... 20 times. In, in my translation, I, I've counted and I, I squared 20 references to the Holy Spirit. It's just full, full, full of the Holy Spirit. Um, Romans 8, some people love it because of the last 10 verses. But if you read Romans 8, the whole chapter is about, it's called life in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And if you are familiar with Romans, then you know that Romans 7 is about the flesh. And the problem of the flesh, and the, the like, the flesh, and what the law beats us down because we're in the flesh, and it's like who who can deliver me from this body of flesh? Paul is crying out and going, "Man, I, I really want to, I really want to do what's right, but I keep finding myself doing what's wrong, and I really want to do, I really don't want to do evil things, and then I catch myself, and it's like I'm so frustrated." And he says, oh, wretched man that I am. This is Paul. This isn't Ted Bundy. It's Paul calling himself, oh, wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from the body of flesh? And then Romans 8 says, I know. God says, I, I know. Jesus and the Holy Spirit. 
It's like, well, who will deliver me? Jesus and the Holy Spirit. It's like, you don't understand Romans 8 unless you read Romans 7. And you don't understand Romans 7 unless you understand, here's a man trying to keep the law of God, and he says, I can't, I can't do it. I'm just a... And then he's like, there's a little debate going on in Romans 7 by theologians, but I, I just think we have Paul here, even in his converted state, saying, I, I can't keep the law. And then the Bible's remedy is you need the Holy Spirit. And Romans 8 just blows up. And the Holy Spirit, it's like, it's the Holy Spirit. You have the Spirit. You have the Spirit. You're no longer bound by the law. You're free in Christ. Celebrate. You have the Spirit of God. Here is the strength and the power that you need. It's not yours. It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit living in you can begin to tear down barriers and change you. And you're going to do things that are so honoring to God. And it ain't you. It ain't you. It's not you. Don't, don't you dare ruin this and try to take credit for it. Don't you dare. If God, folks, if God lets you be part of something great, please don't turn it into you. Please don't stand up and say, well, I did this great thing for God. Well, God will get the credit for it, but you just robbed yourself of any participation in it. And it's like, that's what God is doing. And that's praying in the Spirit is, is aligning with God's will and God's purposes and understanding that you can't do anything. And you go into God's presence saying, Lord God, I, I got a big request and I can't. I can't carry it out on my own. I, I know I'm <coughs> sinful and I know I'll mess it up. But Lord, you can. Praying in the Spirit is where the emphasis is turned from you to God. And so you begin praying. It's like, Lord God, you can do this. I can't. You can do this. I don't have the strength or the might nor the will. Or even if I have the will, I don't have the power to carry out the will. Why do I do the thing I don't want to do? You can. Praying in the Spirit is recognizing God can what you can't. And you just, you sit there and you get out of this drive-by mentality that says, I'm going to go to church, do the thing, get the blessing, do the communion thing. Isn't that supposed to help me? Okay, I'll do communion and maybe I'll be, you know, God will bless me now. I'm going to do communion today because that's what you need to do. I'll give money. You give money? I'll give money. You want your kid to be healed? Give $1,000. No, 10000 No, a million. That's not in the spirit. That's flesh. Praying in the Spirit is when you get out of the flesh and you put the flesh to death. Praying in the Spirit is what Jesus was doing. Praying in the Spirit is what Jesus was doing when He was getting ready to go to the cross. He was praying in the Spirit. The man full of the Spirit was in the Spirit. And he said, Lord God, not what, not what I will, but Your will be done. Is there any other way? Of course he knew there was no other way. He's Jesus. But he did that for us to demonstrate that there are times when we need to surrender and we need to follow. Jesus was modeling for us in that great prayer, praying in the Spirit. And praying in the Spirit for Jesus meant every single day he started his day with the Father. He walked in communion with the Father and he never took a disobedient turn. He was always sneaking away from the, group, from the group times to spend time alone with the Father. And he lived in communion with God the Father. And the Bible says, and I believe that the whole point of the incarnation of Christ is he lived 
as a man full of the Holy Spirit without depending upon his deity, his divine powers. He laid that aside. In Philippians 2, it says Jesus laid that aside. He, he covered or veiled his glory and he lived basically incognito and no one knew that he was God and he lived, he passed the test that Adam failed. That's the point. He had to pass the test Adam failed. And it wouldn't be much of a test if he comes, came to the world and said, I'm Superman, I don't, nothing bounces off me and aim at me your arrows and I laugh at them and mock them. No, he took them on as a man. He, Jesus approached and was tempted as a man, but he didn't sin. And the only way that's possible was that Jesus, yes, he was the Son of God, but he walked in the Spirit and fullness of the Spirit his entire life. And that's what praying in the Spirit is. It is praying and surrender. I, I need to say this because I don't want anyone to confuse. Praying in the Spirit does include, I believe that praying in the Spirit can be a reference to spiritual praying in tongues. It can be. Or a prayer language. But it's not only that. It's way more than that. We have people in our church that have a prayer language. And you can ask me questions about that or ask someone else questions about that. But the, my point is, praying in the Spirit is not so limited to that. Not everyone's going to do that. But everyone can pray in the Spirit. Okay, so praying in the Spirit can't be something so narrowly defined that it's one of the spiritual giftings from God. That cannot be. Praying in the Spirit is something much larger. It can include that, but by no means is it limited to that. Praying in the Spirit, which means when you give yourself to God and you go into the presence of God and you come in one way and you leave another. You come in with your will and your mind. You come in with thinking you might know the will of God and you sit before the presence of God and you often are in His Word and you take His Word and you're like, Lord God, I'm wrestling with this. Will you help me? And you wait upon God and you ask Him to teach you and you acknowledge, Lord God, I might be seeing this wrong. I really think the best thing to do would be to heal my daughter. But I surrender that to your purposes. Lord, I really believe the best thing for you to do is to save my marriage. But I surrender that to your purposes. I really believe the best thing for you to do is A, but I'm willing to accept B if it comes from you. Will you align me? Help me to see. I'm going to trust you. You might not even give me an answer before the answer comes. In other words, I might not get an indicator, but once something happens, please teach me how to accept your will. That's praying in the Spirit. Lord God, align me with your purposes. And just break me of my self-will. Break me of the stupidity of thinking I know better how to run the show. Help me overcome my strong desire for lust or anger or resentment or bitterness. Lord God, you're going to have to root it out because these things drive me. And I really believe that that's what praying in the Spirit looks like. And when we surrender ourselves to God then we're ready to use that sword. And we're ready to use the equipment given to us because now we want it for His purposes. So we're going to come to the Lord's Supper and this is where we surrender. This isn't to get a blessing. This isn't so like, oh, if I do this, I just go through the motion, I walk through the line, I do, you know, if you're 
Roman Catholic, I guess you do this. And I don't know what you do if you're Baptist. You just, yeehaw, I don't know. I'm not sure. But that's not the purpose. The purpose is when you come and you say, Lord God, because of what you did on the cross, I am here. Because you spilled your blood and shed and gave your body and spilled your blood, I can come to you and have fellowship and communion. The pathway of communion with Christ, to God is through what Christ did for us on the cross. And this is a remembrance of what Christ did. So the first thing you can say if you've never received Christ, then this is a, a visible illustration that Christ gave His body and bled out for us on the cross. That's what these two elements are. It's a declaration of the gospel. Here's what Jesus did for you. And if you have never received Christ, then I'm, I'm inviting you to do that. I'm inviting you to eat and drink of Jesus in your heart right now to say, Jesus is what I need in my life. I, I take Jesus. And it's taking Jesus. Will you do that today? If you're not a Christian, that would be your first step. And if you are a Christian, then what you need to say, Lord God, is there anything going on in my life right now that you and I need to talk about and get out? And that's when he says, in order to have ongoing fellowship, we need to get rid of a few things. And you would just simply ask and grant Jesus openness to your heart and say, Lord God, if there's anything in there, I just need you to get it out. Deal with it. Put your finger on it, God. Show me. Am I eaten up with bitterness, anger, resentment? Am I, is my addiction to porn just ruining my life? Is it something I just won't let go of? Or I'm angry at you, God, because of this situation in my life. This is the time. And let's talk and we're going to get that out. And we're going to do it on the basis, the sheer basis of the power of the resurrection of Jesus. That the power that raised Jesus from the dead can deal with whatever's in your heart. Okay? So we're going to pray. And then we're going to have a song. And during that song, I would like you just to begin coming forward when you're ready. And as you walk forward, as you sit, or even as you take, partake and return, then use this time to pour your heart out to God. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are here with us. We thank you that you are mighty. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for um, just being here today and hearing that you truly want us to be in a right relationship with you and you've made all the provision. Thank you, God. Lord God, I pray for anyone here today that would like to, to come to you in faith. I pray that anyone here that wants to have Christ in their life, that they would just simply pray, Lord God, please come into my life. Anyone. Lord, please come into my life. I need you more than I need food. I want you in my life. Please come. And if you're here today and you need to reconnect with God or renew your relationship to God and you've been struggling or into something that has become a deterrent, just say, Lord God, please wash me clean again today. And you name it. Lord, forgive me for this or that. And on the basis of your death and resurrection, I come today to renew my commitment to you. Fellowship with me now, in Jesus' name. Amen.